home of Philadelphia Eagles football. WENJ, WENJHD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Flyers coverage on 97.3 ESPN brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit, $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com. Win real money with their sports book along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER. Our Flyers insider, Kevin Derso, is with us. Flyers are back. Flyers looked good the other day. I liked your video. Go follow Broads81 and check out his reaction. It's like a nine-second, like, just reaction. No words, well, just I had, reaction. Well, I, I had some words. The word, I just said one word multiple times. Uh, uh, yeah. Something like that? Yeah. The word was yes, but it was more like, yeah, yeah. And then the title, the caption of the tweet, are the Flyers going to win the Stanley Cup? So the nine seconds was me going, yeah, all juiced up. At Broads 81, check that out. <laughs> Uh, let's get Durso on to the Boardwalk Honda hotline and get reaction from him as the Flyers, uh, an impressive win. I want to get from you, Kevin, the stock you put in that game because we're watching these playoff games now. Broads is saying there's, you could tell the intensity is different in these playoff games from the round robin games. Do you see that? Yeah, I do see that. There is definitely a difference between the, the games that are in the qualifying rounds and the round robin games. These teams in the round robin know that they have more to go beyond this, and I think they recognize that. And there's a lot of feeling out that happens between the teams when they play these games, and I think that there's a care on still remaining healthy and still remaining prepared for the next step. And Elaine Vigneault has talked about this several times, the common goal being being ready for that first round and not necessarily looking too into these games but still wanting to win them. So I do think there's a difference. That said, I do put a lot of stock into this game because of the fact that this is the best team that the NHL had to offer all season long. And their top line was shut down for pretty much the entire game. Carter Hart looked really well. A lot of other guys making their playoff debut looked really well as well. And I think you can definitely build off of that and take this one a long way if you look at the way the rest of the round robin looks for the Flyers and the fact they're off on a good note to start with. Two points in that round robin structure and currently holding that first seed until some of the other other round robin games are being played. Kevin, uh, you wrote at 97.3ESPN.com about uh, Carter Hart and that you know he was really the backbone of them. What stands out about Hart and the way he played in that game? Because obviously, as you said, the intensity might be a little different from what he might see you know, come next week when they start the real playoff games out of these round robins. But what was it about Hart that makes you feel like that was a big step for him? I think it's his his calmness in net. He really just treats it. He said all along he was going to treat it like just another game, and, and he really delivered on that. You know, there's there's we look at that lineup for Boston and the power that they have coming back the other way, and I think we thought there was going to be a lot of opportunities. The thing about that, I think the third period is something that really stands out to me. He faced two shots in the first 15 minutes of the third period, and then faced 13. Following a, you know, the Bruins pulled a goalie. There's a lot of time there where they're just getting continuous shots. Some of them really quality ones too. And, and he just stands tall the entire way. Didn't let the one goal that went in that wasn't really his fault rattle him. And 
he his poison that is is really undeniable at this point. He just has such a veteran presence for a 21-year-old. Nate Thompson turned around and said he doesn't look 21 to him, and it's hard to argue with when you're no, talking looks about 18. a guy. <laughs> yeah, he does look 18. But it, it was funny because I, th- I believe it was Tyler Pitlick who said today also that once he puts the mask on, you don't see that he's 21. I guess I guess that's the point. When you look at his face, you see a really young kid. But as soon as the mask is on and the game's underway, he plays like a true veteran. Nate Thompson compared him to Carey Price in that re- in that respect, and Carey Price had a pretty good playoff debut this weekend as well. So, uh, you know, it's good company to be in for the 21-year-old netminder for the Flyers. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad comparison to be a part of. How big of a loss is Michael Roffel? He had two points in that game. He brings a veteran, experienced guy that you can play in certain areas on the ice where you can trust him. He's been around the league. You can trust him to play in certain points of the game. I will say the alternative, who it seems to be Joel Farabee, it's definitely not a bad alternative. You got speed in the lineup, which is how the game has definitely transitioned in 2020, but he's young and he can make mistakes out there. Yeah, it's a big loss. It's not overly detrimental to the team. This is not Sean Couturier or Scott Lawton or somebody like that who's playing in your top six. But it's a big loss because Rob is so responsible on both ends of the ice. He makes a nice play on the first goal they scored, but he's also a very defensively responsible player. Plays in penalties still time. So he's a guy who fills a lot of roles, and you're asking a young player like Joel Farabee to kind of play a lot of roles in that respect as well. He's going to probably slot into the fourth line. We, we assume there's not going to be any other changes, for, at least for now. Lane Vigneault did say he's going to explore some other options, but he doesn't have any definitive answer yet on whether or not there's other changes to come. And if that's the only change, then you know where Farabee slots in, and he's going to play on the fourth line. He's going to play probably limited minutes. He might play in some unique situations for him, and that's going to be something that's difficult to replicate. Michael Roffel knows what his role is on this team, and he plays it well. Joel Farabee still, as a rookie, trying to find himself a little bit in terms of finding that best fit for him in the lineup and doesn't have the luxury of being an experienced player yet that he gets to just automatically slot into a spot. He's got to really earn everything he gets at this point. So his inclusion in the lineup is going to be interesting to see how he responds, especially after having that game off on Sunday. Now, did you think the hit was dirty? Because I didn't think it was at all. It just seemed like it was a hockey play. It, it weirdly looked just like what happened with the Calgary Flames and Winnipeg Jets with Matthew Kachuk. I don't, honestly, I don't think either of them were dirty, but specifically the Raffle one, it seemed like he kind of lost an edge as, you, as he was going into the boards. Yeah, I, I think it was. A, there's a fine line between he was losing an edge and there was a bit of a slew foot motion on the play too. So I think the officials did a good job in not calling anything on it because the fact that I think if you look at the – he's losing an edge. There isn't of emotion, but I think both players are involved in it. It's more of an incidental hockey play than it is an infraction there. And I don't think there's any stock in that at all in terms of, you know, anything that carries over to this or anything like that. I think that it's just a hockey play. It's unfortunate that Russell, who had such a good game, goes out like that and has to be helped off the ice. And his the thing about his injury now is that there's uncertainty to it. Elaine Vigneault tells us he's going to be out for a little bit. And what does for a little bit mean? It's going to be, in these terms, it's very vague. You know, it could be the next two games of the round robin. It could be into the first round of the playoffs. We just don't know. So that's the unfortunate part because he had a really good game, and it ends with him getting helped off the ice. That's unfortunate for him. Kevin Durso covering the Flyers. They're back in action Thursday at 4 right here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, what about that uh, pairing of Sandheim and Myers? Uh, they got a goal for Myers. That was a blast, by the way. Uh, but that was, a, you know, uh, Elaine Vigneault all week talked about the confidence that they had with those two guys, and uh, it, it seemed to work out. 
Yeah, it did. I, I talked to him about it because I, I talked about all the pairings, quite honestly, because he's kept the pairings the same for relatively several weeks and going back to before the pause. He's, he hasn't done anything different with those pairings. And he said that he's liked them for the last 20 games. And when you see Sanheim and Myers play a game like that, it's easy to understand why. You know, Sanheim, we've all seen start to grow into that role more and more over the course of the year. He's, he's just continued, continued to develop. But I, I think that that kind of game right there for Phil Myers is sort of a coming out party on what his potential could be. He's, he's got the ability to be a really solid defenseman and play that second pairing role really well, especially since he's a natural right hand. He's a right defenseman, right handed shot. It, it, he fits really well in that grouping. And he's played with Sanheim for several years now, going back to the minors. So he's a great fit, and I think that you got to see his full potential there even more so. I think Sandheim's kind of always had it there on the surface. I think more people recognize him, but I think Myers was the one who had the real showing that that impressed a lot of people. And I don't think there's anything different I would do with that pairing for a while. They read each other very well. They complement each other with their styles very well. And it's a pairing that I'd like to see even more from because they have so much confidence in them. And they, they, they showed it. They put them out there against the top line of the Bruins on several occasions, and Boston's top line got nothing going throughout the game. I know it was only one game, but it did look like the team didn't lose a beat. It seemed like the same exact team that we saw before the stoppage. It's like they let the game come to them. They stay true to the system. And one thing that I really love is let's look at it from a Boston perspective. If Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn is off the score sheet, more times than not, they're going to lose that game. With the Flyers, you don't have Giroux on the score sheet. I, I, Voracek might have picked up a secondary apple or something, but regardless, he wasn't on the score sheet scoring goals. And Travis Konechny, JVR, these type of players weren't on there and you can still win the game. And then next night, you might get Ivan Provorov scoring goals with Scott Lawton and Travis Anheim, and then the next night, it could be Raffle and Nate Thompson. The depth is just unbelievable when it comes to scoring. Yeah, you said it, Broads. That's it's It really is unbelievable. And, you know, I, I one of the things I put in the uh, takeaways article I have on 97.3 ESPN.com, you know, Michael Raffle scores the first goal, and who had Nate Thompson scoring a goal in this game? You know, if you did, then go if you both of those guys scoring a goal in this game against the top team, in the NHL from the regular season, then go play the lottery because, you know, it, it wasn't something that we saw coming at all, probably. You expect the top guys to be the main contributors usually, and that's the beauty of this team. It's that they get contributions from up and down the lineup. It doesn't really matter where, where a guy's playing. And, you know, it was funny because that exhibition against Pittsburgh, it was I thought the top line was probably the best line in that game. Sean Gattarier scores. The second line contributes two goals. Uh, Kevin Hayes had one. And Scott Lawton had the overtime winner against Pittsburgh. And then... It's a totally opposite story in this first-round robin game. It's Michael Roffel and Nate Thompson on the fourth line. It's Phil Myers, who's a guy who you don't get a ton of offense from but can get that offensive contribution at times. And then Lawton's the one who scores and puts the finishing touches on a really convincing win in the first-round robin game. They get contributions from everywhere. And, you know, you even said the top line didn't have a point in the game at all. And it's really impressive when you can play a top team in the league like Boston and – have your top line be completely held off the score sheet and still get four goals out of the and, and a convincing win. It's really impressive. All right, Flyers back in action Thursday right here on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers coverage brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. He's Kevin Durso at Kevin underscore Durso. He's got a ton of Flyers coverage up on our website, 973ESPN.com. His five takeaways, an article on Carter Hart, and how long will the Flyers be without Michael Raffle? It's all right now at 973ESPN.com. Thanks, Kevin.
Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And, of course, uh, Kevin Durso, like all guys, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. We will be uh, checking in with him as the Flyers' round robin continues. I guess these are technically playoff games? Yeah, the NHL seems to be calling all of this playoff games, which is a little weird. For example, this is Carter Hart's first playoff win, but it doesn't really feel that way. But how else would you do this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're just round robin games. They're not regular season. They're not playoff. They're there's something different. I don't know. I know, right? Whatever. It is what it is. Uh, but Flyers round robin game two, Thursday at four, right here on 97.3. And then Saturday, they play Tampa. That game is TBD. I guess they're trying to see if that game's going to mean anything. Oh, it will. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. Okay. Uh, we got headlines coming up. Also, Philly's lineup's out today. An interesting name in that lineup. Do you like the batting lineup? We'll read it off for you coming up. There's never an off-season for the NFL. It's football at 4, every day at 4 p.m. on the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 318, Mike and Broads, what's up, everybody? We got the headlines coming up in just a little bit. Philly's lineup is out. Philly's pitching rotation going to go like this. Nola tomorrow. It's Arietta tonight. Nola tomorrow. Wheeler Wednesday. Eflin Thursday. Velasquez Friday. Now, Scott Lauber was with us earlier today. He says, why Arietta tonight? Girardi said that he threw most recently Wednesday. The other starters need some bullpens over the weekend. And then he mentioned Spencer Howard when he was on our show. And he started Friday in Lehigh Valley. No decision yet on whether he will be called up. But... So you got Ariota tonight, which means Arietta's essentially going to become the five starter. If you look at the way this is set up, because he'll pitch today, then Nola, you're one, then Wheeler, you're two, Eflin apparently is now your three, and Velasquez has been bumped down to the fourth spot. Arietta's in the five hole. Well, it looks like here Scott Lauber also responding to his first tweet when it comes to the rotation about Spencer Howard. And I, and I was trying to think, okay, well, when did Spencer Howard last pitch? Because then they tried. You said that. Oh, you did say when he pitched. Friday. That part just went right over my head. Anyway. What are you watching, Calgary, Winnipeg? No, no. I'm waiting. I'm like, oh, I got this perfect thing here. I got it brought up. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to say it. And I was so focused on saying it that. Well, the point you could make is he he started Friday in Lehigh, which I guess means he might be reset up to pitch when, uh, I don't know, that would make him Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, he would be set up to pitch when Wheeler throws. Yeah, so it's not adding up. No. Not adding up at all. That's what I was trying to get to with that whole point, though. So anyway, it did make sense. It made sense. But um, I think that this decision with Arietta came down to one thing. They don't want to waste Arenola on Garrett Cole. That's the way I see it. This is a tough series, right? you got to find a way to get some sort of advantage. Would it make sense to use Arenola versus Garrett Cole? Well, and, and see, I kind of disagree with what Lauber said to some extent. I get what he's saying. If you have a chance to not match him up. But typically, the aces fall on the same path because they all start at the same time. Like, most of the time, the ace throws opening day, so they're all on that kind of schedule. Now, it depends on when the off days happen, but a lot of times your one gets matched up with the one because they're both the they're both on the same kind of schedule. But because the schedule got so out of whack, the Phillies have it's almost like the Phillies pitching staff is like a hockey line change. They can like they're the home team and they can, you know, match up the line that they want out there. So the Phillies are saying, Well, if you're gonna throw Cole, we're gonna give you Arietta so that we get Nola against your you know, lesser pitcher. The but that's not typically how it goes. Right. Typically it's not. But when you're one and two 
It's funny looking at the standings right now because the Braves are seven and three. The Marlins are in second place at two and one because all these games are wonky. But you play them in in this series, you gotta win. You gotta find a way to win a game, well, right? I mean, you have to. I also don't like what Girardi said and what Lauber told us. I do not want to be in a situation where you're going by winning percentage. There's no other way, sadly. I I, I get that, but I I'm not advocating or he said that Girardi said, "Oh, well, don't worry about it. We could do." But I wouldn't want to fall back on that. He said that though when the Mar the Miami Marlins outbreak was so real and they not that it was fake, but it was again like the heat of the moment. It was real big. It was breaking news and the Phillies didn't get any of their tests back yet, so they were still learning what was happening with the Phillies. So at that time, I guess he was thinking, hey, look, player safety first. Right now, let's just figure this out. If it comes down to percentage, it comes down to percentage. So that was in the heat of the moment, if you will. All right, McCutcheon, Hoskins, Harper, Real Muto, DD, Segura, Jay Bruce, your DH, Kingery, Hastley, Arietta. Here's two things I don't like. I do not I don't like that you're facing Garrett Cole. Well, yes, that is. So there's three things I don't like. One's facing Garrett Cole. Two is Hoskins at the in the two spot. They are valuing these walks, and I think at the two spot, it makes a lot of sense to value walks. You want to get on base, so then your three and four hitter can knock him in. But Reese Hoskins is doing himself a disservice being a guy who just walks. And there was an at-bat against this Marlins team, and it, it feels weird going all the way back to that Miami Marlins series, but there was an opportunity for him to crush these meatballs down the middle of the pipe, and he actually walked. It was 0-2, he didn't swing the bat once. Okay, so 0-2, he stood there, saw both pitches go by him, and he would normally crush both of those if we're going back two seasons ago, and then he walked. So it was six pitches, he did his thing, he walked, and it was 0-2, and then he gets all these high fives for working back in 0-2 count and having a great at-bat. No, Reese, you used to destroy those baseballs. And that's what bothers me, because yes, he walked after being down 0-2, but you used to hit those two pitches that went down the pipe out of the yard. So that's why I'm irritated with him and these valuing of the walls. I just don't love Hoskins in the two-hole either. I'm not a big fan of, now, his on-base percentage and all that, qualifies him to be in that spot, but you're right. That's not the hitter you should be hoping Reese Hoskins is. I know. It's doing himself a disservice being this type of role. He is a guy who can, in theory, hit the ball out of the park. And I think, like, this team, I, I like I like Kingery in the two-hole. I mean, I love his speed in the two-spot. Maybe he strikes out a little bit too much, but I would imagine as he kind of gains experience, he should cut down on that. I think Segura could probably hit in that spot. Real Muto could probably hit in that spot. If you flipped Real Muto and Hoskins, you might get more from Hoskins as a, a guy with power than you're getting from him in the two-hole right now. Well, I like the fact that you brought up JT because that was my second thing I was going to bring up. JT hitting DH, he's not a DH guy. or He's not a, um, a four-hole hitter guy. You know, He's not a guy who should be in the cleanup spot, not the DH spot, the cleanup spot. He should not be... In that scenario, that's not who he is. He has failed miserably with runners in scoring position multiple times so far this season, and he normally doesn't get the job done. Now, he did hit that one home run when everyone was kind of getting on his back, but ultimately, he's not a good cleanup hitter. Now, this is what Girardi said, by the way, about the whole 60 game, and it's okay that if everybody doesn't play, 60. After thinking about it, I think that this could happen more than this one time with, with an organization. And if everyone doesn't play 60 games, I think that's all right. We want to get to the playoffs. That's the important thing. So if a team plays 57 games, 
you go by winning percentage to take the playoff teams, and you go from there. Okay, so it, it, to an extent, he's right. I mean, look, if you're – I think his point is don't make us play 57 games in 56 days just to get us to 60. The it, problem is that could bite you. Oh, yeah, no doubt. It's going to come down to something wonky where the Marlins play less games, but their winning percentage – you know, if they play – what if they play 46 games? See, that's the thing. Should there be a minimum of amount of games that you have to play to get your winning percentage to count? Maybe, yeah. Because if there's a team that knows they have a good percentage, let's say a team knows they have a good win percentage, but the last series is against the Yankees. They're going out and trying to get Corona. Uh, that's what I'm. Uh, they're they're gonna be feeling a little Jeez. woozy that night. Who knows, right? I mean, who knows? I don't know. There's definitely a possibility that someone tries to throw a series, or you know, oh, they got to do this because yeah. they have a good win percentage. That's a wild thought. Is it, though? I don't know. What if? Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. We got the headlines coming up. Ask Mike and Broad, 609-403-0973, plus caller reactions in the 5 o'clock hour. Jeff Mosher, today's football at 4. How about Doug Peterson? Coronavirus. He spoke today about it. We'll have more reaction to that coming up. But on the other side, we got the headlines next right here on Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Download the free mobile app. Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash, with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, time for the headlines now here on The Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. There's, I said to you in the break there, there's so many damn sports going on, my head's spinning. I don't know what's going on. There's baseball, basketball, hockey playoffs all day long. Doug Peterson has coronavirus. What else did I miss? There's a lot going on. I got PGA this weekend. PGA Championships this weekend. We're talking about the first golf major of the year. It's a lot going on. This is overwhelming, but I love it. I am overwhelmed. Yeah. I was at the beach on Saturday. Put in a good 10-hour day. Oh, yeah? Yep. What were you drinking? You sent me some pictures of some new beers. Yep. Found a newbie. A new one. You'll fly Jack 96. Now, where does that land on your list? My girlfriend put it at number one. Whoa. Yep. Now you don't. Uh, I I would say it's right there. One one a. I mean, depends. It's, it's a hazy IPA as opposed to the daytime, which is just a regular IPA. This one's a little citrus hoppy. Ninety six cows, four carbs. Well, when you buy me that six pack for when Ben Simmons yeah. does not take those, you can get one of the low cow IPAs if you'd like. You can bring that in. I'll give you one. You go fly Jack ninety six. Well, I found that I'm not telling people where I got it though. Okay, that's good. Because the last time I did that, I got screwed. Is it the same place? No. Well, now, it's not now they're the going to put place. it together and go. Well, hold on a second. It's, it's not the, the same place. place. That's I, what you want. You them know, to on think. one of my days off last week, here's a headline for you. I went to about 15 liquor stores looking for different ones. You know, how'd that turn out? You did I all found right? the Flyjack 96. Okay. I've been looking all over for it. I found a place that had it. Now, would they consistently have it for you? Did you talk to the guy? Um, I would think that they would have it. Yeah, I mean, if they had it one time, I'm sure that they keep restocking as long as people don't go there looking for it. People might be doing the same thing as you, though, and trying to search for it all over the place until they find it. Yeah. We'll start headlines here, though. You actually mentioned it with little The Rock and the XFL. It looks like he purchased the XFL, him and some people, $15 million. Do you think that this has a uh you know does this help the value of the xfl and people getting behind it and supporting it to make spring football work 
I don't know what to think about this. Now, he and an investor bought the XFL for $15 million. I haven't read any articles about it or anything. So they declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So is The Rock's intention to bring the league back? I would think so, yeah. That would be the point of purchasing it to make it work. He probably feels as if he can make this happen. Mm -hmm. He can find a way to make this work. In theory, when there's no football on, you would think that you can find a way to... People love football. We, we, we literally love football so much. You would think that if there's an area where there's no football being played, you could find a way to get Look, a league I'm going. I'm all for the XFL. I was all for the spring football. I was enjoying it. I feel terrible. You know, guys like Colin Thompson, who's a friend of ours, who, you know, he ended up getting an NFL deal. Um, but he was thriving in that league in terms of having a job, getting a place to play, a game that he has worked his whole life to play. I'm all for the spring football. I think it was working. I think the XFL was doing a good job. Um, I don't know that if you restart it again, this will be the third time that you restart this league. Are you going to – I mean, what's – what is the purpose of the league this time? I mean, now you have somebody completely different owning it and running it. Well, I was going to say, do you think it would be better if The Rock announced a totally different league? So, hey, it's not the third time the XFL is trying. It's a whole new league, a whole new brand, a whole new environment, and Rock, The Rock is supporting it. Would that be better mentally for these people to maybe get involved? Because now you hear, oh, here we go, the XFL again, compared to whatever The Rock would come up with for a whole new entire different league. Mm -hmm. um, he says, it's with pride and gratitude for all that I've built with my own two hands. I plan to apply those callous to the uh, XFL and look forward to creating something special for players, fans, and everyone involved for the love of football. I hope it works. I mean, I'm intrigued, put it that way. Do you think one of the reasons why the NFL and college football is the way that it is, though, is because there's no football in spring? The anticipation for football to be back, that's why we love college football in August, and that's why we have that hype for football on Sundays in, no, in the mean, NFL? I, I don't think that the XFL is for, like, okay, there's no team in Philly, so you're just kind of watching football. It's just like, hey, it's nice out. You're getting outside for that first time. You might be, like, um, you know, outside – someplace and there's a football game on i don't know there's something about that that's kind of neat no doubt it relates to some college football games when i turn on a 12 o'clock memphis game i'm yeah. not all you know sec'd up as if this is a big alabama lsu matchup at 3 30 it kind of has that sort of vibe to it where you see a memphis in the aac play something or you know two lanes on tv and you watch one of those type of college now, football games does the rock is this him like sticking his nose up to mcmahon that's what I was thinking. I was thinking about the tie there with the whole WWE, WWF vibe, you know? Because mm -hmm. he was part of it when it was WWF, right? Wasn't that when The Rock was part of that whole wrestling crew? Well, he's still a part of it. Does he still wrestle, wrestle? Uh, he hasn't, in, but like he might come back once a year for like WrestleMania or something. Now, um, no, he's not a regular contributor, but yeah, he's been on programming within the last five years. I didn't know he was still that involved. No, he's not like on every single night. No, I got you. But they might throw him in there to get the people juiced up. Now, there's no people, of course. There's no people. Right. We'll move on to this, this one. This is an interesting story, yeah, though. Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, and, and, and as many people have said, this is like, if you ever watch Ballers on HBO, this is essentially, instead of him buying a team, he bought the league. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was 
I watched Ballers for like the first couple seasons. I think I finished the first two. And then, I don't know why, I lost it. I lost it a little bit. One of those shows I got into and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then, I don't know, it felt repetitive. And then I, I dipped out. I, I lost it too. And it was funny. I was, I was flying home from um, the Super Bowl. And that was one of the shows that was offered to me on to watch. So I was watching. I, I guess I watched, what, about half-hour shows? It was like a two-and-a-half-hour flight. So, you know, I watched a couple episodes from the one season, and I was like, eh, I'm just not. I'm just not. I don't need to pick this back up. So Ballers is one of those shows where the first two years, like every episode gets you amped up for the next episode, right? It's one of those shows where it has a, does a great job of leading you to the next episode. The third season, they lost that vibe. The third season, when he's doing the whole, I'm going to buy a team, they go down that whole path, and it's in Vegas. and It really felt like the show was like, what can we do to top ourselves? And instead of topping themselves, they kind of fell off the boat, and they had to swim back to shore. That's what the show felt like. And that's where I lost it. It was that third season. I watched the first two. I remember that third season, I was like, eh. I lost it a bit. Because they didn't draw you in anymore. Right. There was no anticipation of the drama. The first two seasons, there was like legitimate like stuff going on. The third season was like, how do we top the first two seasons? And instead of writing a good story, they were just like, what ridiculous thing can we do? He's going to buy a football team. And you're like, no, that that's not the show anymore. And, you know, you, you kind of stick through it to just kind of see where it goes. And then you realize that you kind of wasted a couple uh, hours of your life. And then <laughs> you see The Rock buying the XFL, and you're saying, all right, Ballers just came back to life. All right, now we need Eddie George to come out of here and mentor all the XFL rookies, and we'll have full circle. Well, I think The Rock is a very likable person. A lot of people definitely enjoy his presence when it comes to the media, TV, and things. So maybe that has something to do with the success I, of this I just league, thought that McMahon with Oliver Luck had them on a path of – being like a legitimate football league and that you could see build and build and kind of grow into something fun. And I don't know that how the rock's going to run it. I don't know. Is he going to get an Oliver luck to run the league? Are they going to do, is they, are they going to do it in a legitimate manner? Is it going to be, who knows if it wasn't for COVID-19, the XFL would be fine. I would agree with that. But the pandemic is what really killed the league. And that's why they, are where they are today. It wasn't that the McMahon-Oliver Luck plan was a bad one. It's just that it happened to happen in the year where the whole world got shook by a pandemic. I personally don't know if The Rock can run a league because, let's be realistic, the guy's an entrepreneur, but he's never run something on this level, and I don't really know a ton about his partners. It's not like his partners have a ton of sports franchise running experience let's be realistic even if they do revive the xfl in the near future do we have any guarantees about what the world's gonna look like next year or the year after we don't it's a good point and when you when you brought up his you know his team members that he's working with the partners he's working with did you guys happen to see joshua harris on the sixers broadcast yesterday talking about this team Whew. get off my screen i hate the face uh, oh, I hate the face. What he was, he didn't even know what he was saying. He was just talking out the side of his mouth. Ridiculous. For which team? The Mets? The Devils? Well, he was talking about the Sixers. <laughs> he couldn't even name some of the bench players. I'm thinking, oh, does he even know what team he's in? Yeah, he thinks he's talking about the Mets right now. He's sitting in a Mets polo while he's on the Sixers broadcast. Well, he's worried about Cespedes walking yeah. out in the Mets yesterday. Perfect segue. I have three baseball stories for headlines, and the first one was Cespedes. What? 
This guy just didn't show up to the ballpark, and that's the way he opts out of the season? That's the way? That is so Mets. That wouldn't happen. As much as we ripped the Phillies for being a bad product, all this and that, Yeah, that is so Mets. Yeah, the story's bizarre. He just, like, upped and left. Nobody knew where he was. They knocked on his door. He wasn't there. I mean, he just decides, I'm going to opt out. He hits the home run on opening day, and it was like, this guy hasn't played in two years, and all of a sudden, you know, he gets a game-winning home run, and then... I, I don't know. He just did not show up. In what world? You know? Now, it's interesting that they use Cespedes opted out as, as the storyline, which makes a lot of sense. Can you do this in other in other jobs? Imagine being able to go up to your boss, hey, uh, I think I'm going to opt out, so thank you. Instead of firing, you know, or getting fired or quitting, I'm going to opt out. So you can just dip and you still get your contract. Yeah, the whole thing's bizarre. Maybe you can do that in other fields now. Just go, hey, I'm going to opt out today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Cespedes, I guess, um, the report today um, was that he twice confronted Mets officials over playing time. So, essentially, he was like, I'm not playing enough, so if I'm not going to play enough, I just don't want to be here because I don't want to be around other people. Can you know. name another franchise that that would happen to in baseball? The Mets he, are a joke. Okay, he said... He apparently felt like, this is what I was reading about this earlier, was that the Mets management was trying to prevent him from triggering contract bonuses, and then he became disgruntled because he was not in the lineup, and he felt they were holding him out of the lineup because they were going to have to pay him more. Wow, and that would totally be another reason why this Mets organization is a joke, right? I mean, you can't do that. Well, people do it all the time. I know they do, but the Mets are a dumpster fire. Yeah. And think about their roster, right? It's not as if the roster is a bad roster on paper. They've been throwing out decent no, they're players. Good. They're good. They can never do anything with it. And it's just interesting on why that is. The you know? funny part is, though, he did it in the middle of the game. Just upped and said, okay, I'm out. Well, he didn't even show up to the field that day. Right, but, like, he told the, the GM there on, well, I guess it was uh, during Sunday's game, in the middle of the game, he, he I mean, notified him, hey, I'm opting out. He packed his bags, left the team hotel, he didn't tell anybody, and said, I'm out of here. Imagine that happening here. Well, I'm sure the New York market's having one hell of a day with this story, too. But there's, a, there's an alternative. Because the New York Yankees have Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge is on a five-game home run streak. He's got six homers in five games. And oh, by the way, he's doing it when it matters. He's crushing these late home runs that are winning New York Yankees baseball games left and right. The stretch that this guy is on is unbelievable. And he gets to see Jake Arrieta tonight. Yeah, well... Um... <laughs> He's must-watch. Must-watch television. Yeah, judges, uh, I mean, the guy's a massive human being. <laughs> you Just think so? Just a massive human being. What's he hitting, like, five straight games now, home runs? Yeah, five-game home run streak, and he has six home runs in those five games. Yes, yeah, so he's on pace for, like, 50 homers in a 60-game season. It's ridiculous. He is just crushing the baseball. Uh, meatballs down the pipe. How are you throwing a meatball down the pipe, Darren Judge? Hit five home runs, uh, two RBIs, five ribbies uh, yesterday, right? It was incredible. Just home runs left and right. Doing it in the bottom of the eighth. He's doing it in the bottom of the seventh. I wonder how having nobody there is affecting the pitchers. You think it is a lot? I got to imagine, I man. just think at some point... You're so dialed in as a as a pro athlete that you're just so focused in the game. 
if you're a pitcher, I'm not saying the fans don't matter. Of course they matter in all these sports. But maybe you're so dialed into this chess match that you're having with this yeah, batter. I mean, I guess so. But at the same time, you know, when you're used to having that two outs, two strikes, and that extra little something, and it's just not there. Well, you get it from the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a couple, you know, a couple oh, woos and ahs. Of all the sports, now, I thought not having the fans would be would would affect the game, the viewing experience more than it has. I'm already used to hockey with no fans. I'm used to basketball. I think baseball is the weirdest because, by the way, have you seen the fake fans, virtual fans with no. Fox? It's so bad because here's the thing. When they show the pitch, there's nobody in the background. So it's empty seats when they show the pitcher. When it goes to the outfield, that's where randomly there's just a packed house. So it's only on certain cuts where there's fans. So it's empty ballpark for 60% of the visual. Oh, no. And then randomly 40%, here's these fake virtual yeah, fans. Yeah, I haven't seen the Fox broadcast yet with the with the fake virtual fans. It's so bad. And I think the NBA, you know, here's the problem. The WNBA has a better court than the NBA does. They need to flip-flop courts or get their court. Right. Yeah, they both use the same. We don't want the WNBA to flip-flop and use the bad one. No, we just want exactly. both to use good They need ones. to get the same court that the WNBA is using. They have – the court is like the wood color, and then the, the baselines and the, ends, and the end lines are black. So there's like – because when they shoot the ball in the NBA – the, the baselines having the wood look, sometimes the ball, you kind of lose it. When I watched early games, when it was the exhibition games, I saw a lot of players step out of bounds and not know where they are on the floor, and I wonder if that played a role into that. I saw that actually happen a couple times in the same game. Granted, I think it was the Brooklyn Nets game. If you remember how awful and sloppy that first Brooklyn Nets game was, maybe it had to do more so about the talent than the floor, but I'm sure it didn't help. But with these hockey games, I mean, I don't even notice the crowd. I will say, they there was a little, uh, maybe it was poor planning when it comes to the visual stuff. So, Doc Emmerich was on the call on a Saturday game, right? And it was on NBC. Mm -hmm. He was about three seconds delayed. So, the I goal reading, happened. I was reading tweets saying, can you please stop tweeting if you're at the game like that the goals are scored and then brian smith who does the flyers pre and post game stuff was like i'm sitting next to them and it's like weird right yeah but how can you have the goal happen and then they start celebrating and then doc emmerich goes scores like four seconds after they're already going down the line you know like the delay he might because he was in his own location in michigan while the games were happening in toronto so he's calling the game everything's perfect but when it's a goal and I wonder if it was a delay on him or if maybe, I don't know, maybe his eyesight's bad and he doesn't know exactly when the goal went in the net because he's watching it on a TV screen. I don't know, but it's a little tough to so have. So because they're not there. Right. That there's, there's the delay of that much? It was bad. It, it was only that one game, though, with Doc Emmerich. So I wonder if there was a reason for it. Maybe Josh has some information for us. This gets back to one of the problems with why ESPN figured this out earlier than everybody else. ESPN doesn't do multiple people in different scenarios. It's either you're all at your house and you're pumped through the same feed or you're all in the studio. The problem is that Doc's at his house. The other guys are in the studio. 
Boosh is there in the bubble. There's too many latency issues overlapping. But that was the only game that had an issue. It was just the one Doc Emmerich game. All the other that's ones the sound great. That's the only game where someone is in a different location. Oh, that is. A different, that's, the, yes. that's the only one. So oh, like, okay. So like, for example, a lot of these games are either in the studio or, like for example, the Flyers game, they're all at the Wells Fargo Center. The Sixers game, zoom off. They're all in the same building. The problem is, is that Doc's in a totally different feed coming in. Well, and right, coming you got out. like the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball crew. They're all in three different spots. Well, the difference with the baseball is that so uh, A Rod and Vaskersian are both in the studio, and Olney's at the ballpark. So the only latency you notice is when they put Olney on the screen talking to the guys. Well, what about for the other? What about the other crews? Because didn't all... they have like? Um... You know, whoever was doing the play-by-play. -play, uh, yeah, Bukshiambi, Tim Kirchner. They were all in different were, spots. But they're all in one feed. So they're all getting the same feed in and out because they're all in the house because they're all right. on that, all that whole uh, – it's not Zoom. They have some other program that allows them to all be on the same feed in and out, whereas Doc's on a totally different feed than the guys in the studio. That's why there were multiple times there were people talking over each other, and you're just like – Guys, you should have figured this out before you went off and did this. No offense to Doc, but the poor guy, I mean, I don't remember how old he is, but you know, you're asking him to do this setup at his house with the video, and the video looks like he's underwater. Now, Gil, I just sent you something, and it's the it's the call of Aaron Judge's home run, because we, we brought up the broadcast team. Oh, I think last night, that Sunday night baseball crew had a tough day at the office. Vascursion is really awkward calling the game from the studio. It, w it was bad. I mean, it just <laughs> way too overpowering with the scream and just obnoxious. Well, A-Rod's fine because A-Rod's just smooth. Well, A-Rod was getting chirped a little bit because he said, he after Aaron Judge hit a homer, he goes, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Aaron Judge. And people are freaking A-Rod, what are you saying? Aaron, Aaron Judge is one hell of a baseball player. He does not deserve that type of conversation yet. Am I right? Not yet. I mean, come on. Definitively not yet. Not yet at all. I mean, come on now. What was that? Listen, A-Rod's always had weird stuff he says on the air. But he doesn't get awkward and he says it on the air. He at least says it in a deliverable manner. That scourge, you can tell there's a huge difference between him in the booth and him calling a game from the studio. Well, I would imagine that calling a game from the studio, it's it's got to be weird. I mean... The play-by-play -play guy also goes off the crowd. Yeah, that's and there's very no fair. crowd there. No, that's very true. That is true, but it just now, it felt weird. This is a, a tweet. This one said, "If everyone in the bubble could not tweet goals for seven to ten seconds after they happen, so you don't beat the TV and/or Twitter, I'd appreciate it." And then Brian Smith, who does the pre and post game for the Flyers, tweeted, "Today I was in the radio booth watching a feed that was 20 seconds ahead of the feed the guys were calling the game on. That was interesting. I had to make sure I didn't hand off penalty information before they saw it happen." Oh wow! How about 20 that? 20 seconds. Wow. Huh. That's pretty. That's actually pretty crazy to think, right? I mean, you're talking about that could that could screw some stuff up. I'm surprised that like. They had they couldn't they didn't get that figured right, out I ahead agree, of time. I agree. I, I absolutely one hundred percent agree. I think that that can cause some issues down the road if something is to to happen. Hmm. I'm also curious to find out: Will there be a scenario where something happens to one person's feed 
and then it doesn't happen to somebody else. Right. Steve. So imagine you have Doc Emmerich trying to make a call, and his screen's black while you have the commentators on the other side who have perfect screens. Yeah, Jonesy's over there being like, well, that was a bad penalty and no audio from Doc oh, at yeah. all. Yeah, that would be crazy. By the way, that uh, Field of Dreams game uh, in the headlines, that has been canceled. It has been canceled. White Sox-Cardinals, that game was supposed to be in Iowa. Field of Dreams, they've been doing this the last couple of years. Uh, that game has been canceled. Mm. Makes sense. I well, mean, logistically, they said it's more work? of a logistical problem than it is to the Cardinals' positive tests. Well, I think that going back to something we were talking about before when I said it was more of a Miami Marlins problem than a whole entire MLB problem, even though the Cardinals do have some positive tests. Well, here's another one. Yeah. 12 seconds, Scott Lauber. The four-game series between the Cardinals and Tigers has been postponed. See, but this is just because 13 I 13 members of the Cardinals, seven players, six staff. Oh, it went up to that high now. But this They're is all to, still quarantined were, in Milwaukee. There was a report that they went out. There was a report at that a they went out to a casino. So at what point, I mean, look, I know baseball needs to hand down and be brutal and, and be, you know, really harsh on these guys. But at the same time, if you guys want to play baseball, then you got to figure it out. By the way, Reggie McLean has been placed on the paternity list. I saw that. He's had some rough outings so far. He's only been on the team for three days. Well, he got rocked by the Orioles his first pitch in exhibition. Then he got rocked... Uh, Real quick when he got his first regular season approach as well. Right. So the Marlins players left the team hotel in Atlanta, but they are not running around the city by any means. Quote, some of our traveling party had a false sense of security. This is a big wake-up call. See? Them too, then. They're not following the rules.